Before we get rolling into today's podcast, I want to tell you about our awesome sponsors that uh, keep this thing free for you guys. So first we have DuckSeason.com. That's D-U-K-S-Z-N.com. Go on there. Check it out. Uh, You can get signed up for uh, Traded Hunts where you put in your location, the kind of birds you're after, you know, the type of things that you do. And uh, you can search around on there, see other people, their areas, what they go after, and you can talk with each other and get linked up and trade hunts with each other. So rather than hiring an outfitter or a guide, if you're on a budget or kind of want to do a little bit of a DIY thing, you can get linked up with some people, go hunt their area, they come out and hunt in your area. It's a really cool thing. Also on there, there's some forums, you know, duck hunting, waterfowl hunting in general, different tips and advice, things like that. And they also have a lot of merchandise, really cool stuff. And in their merchandise, they have the Salty Fowl line of clothing, where 100% of the profits from that go to uh, Eider Research out there on the coast. So really cool cause. Go check it out. Go buy some stuff. Get on some trade hunts. You definitely won't regret it. Next, we have Steady Wing Outfitters. That's Mikey Soberano. He's up there in northeast Kansas, and he uh, specializes in waterfowl, turkey, and deer. You can check him out on Instagram at Steady Wing Outfitters. Uh, and if you want to book a hunt, you can give him a call. His number is 785-410-2304. Next, we have 701 Pursuit. They're over there in North Dakota. They're making a bunch of awesome hunting and fishing content. It's on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of the places. Go check them out for some high-quality stuff. They also have a website with some merchandise and other things on it. Uh, The website is 701pursuit.com. That's the numbers, 701pursuit.com. So check them out, all the places that you have social media. They're on there somewhere. Next, we have Bulldog Baits. It's over there in western Oklahoma. Uh, They're making crankbaits, jigs, soft plastic, spoons, jig heads, sinkers, anything you need for fishing. They've got it. So you can check them out on uh, Instagram. It's bulldog underscore baits. And if you want to go on their website to order some stuff, it's bulldog-baits.square.site. So if you're needing anything, definitely, definitely go check them out. Also, on the same note, we have Stump Thumper Baits. Their website is stumpthumperbaits.com. They also have soft plastics, jigs, all that type of stuff. Want to check them out too on Instagram. Their handle is at stumpthumperbaits. They're also Facebook, anywhere else. Now we have Waylon Johnson and his guide service. He's over in the San Antonio area. Uh, he's hunting ducks, geese, anything waterfowl you guys want to get on over there down in Texas. You can give him a call at 361-494-7868. You can also find him on Facebook. Uh, his name is just Waylon Johnson. See what he's been up to. Check out the cool birds down there. All that good stuff. And lastly, we have my dog training business up here in Northeast Montana. I specialize in retrievers, but I train all sorts, basic obedience, force fetch, waterfowl upland, anything you're looking to get done with your dog, I can help you out with. Um, You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, all the normal places. It's H-I-L-I-N-E, retrievers. And then if you're looking for some advice or looking to uh, get set up with some training, give me a call. My number is 406 783-7083. Thanks a lot. Thanks to our sponsors. Go check them all out and enjoy the show. 
took wing Shotgun singing A pointing dog down in the old logging road And then he got three And looked back grinning I fumbled around and I tried to reload The country was cold Alright, welcome to the Woods and Water Podcast. This is Garrett. Uh, today we have John Stallone back on. We're going to kind of go over what's been going on in the Howl for Wildlife world and then get into some of his hunting escapades. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, John, I guess for the new listeners that didn't hear you on the last one, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, John Stallone. I am uh, first and foremost uh, a father and of three and, uh, and a husband, but uh, I'm a lifelong hunter. I've been hunting since I'm f- five years old and I'm 47 now uh wore a number of hats over the years through my uh i guess hunting career if you want to call it uh been a writer had a tv show had a i have the longest running podcast of any podcast actually um out there and um i uh i pioneered online hunting tv i own the hunting channel online um written some books i'm a guide and um co-founder of how for wildlife i'm sure i'm missing some stuff in there but <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm not uh i don't really love talking about me specifically but uh i love to talk but <laughs> and i don't mind hearing myself talk i just uh, i don't know well, I'd hope not with the longest running podcast. You've heard yourself quite a bit. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. So, so on the uh, howl stuff, I guess since the last time we talked, um, has anything big really gone on that howl has helped out get through or stop? I am trying to think off the top of my head right now. Unfortunately. Only the losses are sticking out in my head. <laughs> so, but yeah. I mean, I could tell you right now, currently we're working on, um, there's a new policy coming up. Uh, they drafted a conservation policy in, in Washington that is, um, for lack of better terminology, r- ridiculous. Um, it's all preservation, not conservation oriented. Uh, that is an action that we are working on right now. We're trying to get people involved. Um, and unfortunately, it's 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 getting harder and harder to get people to get involved in stuff. Um, we are on the, um, I think, third, yeah, the third run of this uh, restructuring in Oregon. So Oregon and Washington have been targeted terribly this whole past year, uh, and, and even the end of the last. Um, they have a political climate there that is unfavorable to hunting, and they have um, like commissioners that are on on the commission that are anti-hunting, and. It's been it's been a real tough go because you know when these people hold that high of a seat, um, 
it's it's really hard. It's really hard. We we hear it all the time. Oh, our our game and fish department's becoming a bunch of libtards and whatever, you know, stupid stuff like that. But um, reality of it, most of the time, it's they're we work with a lot of these game and fish departments and they're excellent, but Oregon and Washington are not <laughs> They're They are very, uh, very not pro hunting. They're very anti hunting. So, um, and you know, obviously a person in that position shouldn't hold that position if they are not, you know, you don't have to be necessarily, I mean, I, th I think you should have to be a hunter to be on a commission board, but some of these people, some of these states don't have um, that written into their rules. That's number one. Some states do. Um, Arizona's got a pretty good um, example of what, how a commission board is governed. Like they, they can't have more than, um, so we have five commissioners. And you can't have more than three from any political party. Uh, each of the commissioners have to come from a different one of the counties in the state. You can't have two from the same county. Um, there is, they have to have had a, and I don't remember the enact, the time frame, but they have had have to have had been a sportsman or at least held their license hunting and fishing combo for x amount of years i believe it's five but i might be wrong on that so don't quote me um and <clears throat> then we have a governing bo body called uh it's uh acronym is called carb i don't remember exactly what it stands for but that committee is made up of outdoorsmen ranchers guides and they get, they are, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but they are given a, uh, like, three people or four people from the governor that he or she is going to choose. Like, that's those are the people they want to choose. And of those people, th that governing bar, uh, body suggests who the governor should take so there's quite a bit of a better vetting process but like places like new mexico or uh washington and, and oregon the governor just appoints whoever the heck they want they could put they could put their nephew in there if they wanted you know um mm -hmm. and you could see you could see the danger in that right so um as of as of such we're, we we've been trying to we got involved in a lot of things and um, some of them were successful, successful, some of them not, um, where we're trying to get hunting and fishing written into each state's constitution. Um, that is actually something we're going to be trying here in Arizona, I think next, maybe next season, I don't know. Um, but we're doing that because we have to put some bigger boundaries, bigger protections in place um, to, you know, to help stop like some of these crazy, crazy things that are coming up. I mean, there's, there's some serious bills being presented that are, 
have implications. Like, like what what kind of boundaries would you guys be able to put up, or I mean, propose? Yeah. So if we put something up, like if you if you put it into the state constitution, it doesn't. Um, you know, it's not like an ironclad thing where you're going to protect your hunting rights specifically. Because right, hunting's not really a right. We always say hunting rights. So hunting is a privilege. But if you get it written into your state constitution, it's a hunt. It becomes a right, a revocable right, just like you know your right to bear arms is revocable. Because if you do stupid crap, then you know you're not allowed to have a firearm. You know, if you go to jail or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so it is a revo- revocable right, you know, rights that are not revocable, like your right to free speech or whatever. So it it puts those in place. But what it does is it makes it much harder, makes the framework much harder for an anti-hunting bill to surface because they can't, they have to circumvent this law that's in place. Uh, not even just a law; it's a it's a constitutional, uh, you know, state constitutional amendment. So they have it's it's much more difficult. Let's just put it that way. So, yeah. So that's one of the things. Um, the other thing we want to talk to is what we were, we were talking about, which is going to be a big undertaking. But we're going to start trying to pick off state by state. Uh, putting in these um, rules, so to speak, on how the commission is chosen and putting protections that way so that because that's that's been the anti-hunting agenda here for the last five, five or six years. Uh, And I assume it's actually been longer than that. And they've been playing the long game and we're just too busy you know, worried about what deer we're going to harvest this year and, and, uh, you know, what, what clothing line we're going to wear, um, out in the field. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm making a joke of it, but the, the reality of it is yep. we, if we spent, if we spent 10% of the time that we put in to preparing for hunts and, 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 thinking about the next hunt or preseason scouting and so on and so forth into fighting the anti-hunting agenda we would we'd never you know we we would I shouldn't say never but we would almost never lose anything um it, it's it's pretty sad it honestly um when when Charles and I started this, we envisioned, and not that we haven't, we've had great success, great successes, and we've had great support, uh, which makes me even more angry because we've we've been able to have successes with. Um, there's about thirty thousand people that actively use helpful wildlife. Um, thirty thousand, and just in the United States. We are what fifteen or sixteen million hunters. Mm. Let me see. What is that? Sixteen million. Oh, I'm doing this wrong. What's the math here? Thirty thousand divided by sixteen million. 
what is that? That is 0 0.0018. So that is not even 1%. <laughs> right? Am I doing wow. my math right? Move the decimal over. Yeah. No, that's 1%. 1.8%. 1.8%. Of the hunting population is getting involved. So if you can imagine, we change that 1.8% to 10%. And every time a... That's a lot of voices. Every time a bill... Yeah, every time a bill came up, 1.6 million people had their voices heard. You know, we're making strides with 2,000 people having their voices heard. That's the other thing, too. So I said 30,000 users. That doesn't mean 30,000 people are getting involved in every single action. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, we see 2,000, and on the high side, we'll see 5,000, but, you know, we're talking about a fairly small number of people that are just constantly getting involved, and it's this, and I assume those people are eventually going to get burnt out, especially if we start losing a lot more, you know. You know, this this mm -hmm. year we saw we saw some losses. Last year we didn't we saw one one loss. Um, although the uh, the bills and the stuff that we got involved in were a little bit more complex this year, and the, you know with the midterm elections and all this other stuff, there's were some a lot of moving parts. So um, the other side was very um, strategic in their implementation of or at least presentation of these bills that are coming up so yeah it's um it's a scary world you know it, it, it's we're not that far off from losing a large portion of hunting i mean we see it i mean australia just got pummeled with a bow hunting ban well they don't have gun hunting so mm. they basically banning hunting right um so did that so, go through did they lose well see what's happened is it 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 got passed but it's sitting there not being implemented and it may not be implemented it's just sitting there okay um yeah, but what happened there? People just didn't get involved. We had, there were so many of their, um, I think they're called MLAs um, or MPs. They're members of parliament. I don't remember how they called there. But they, um, you know, we had 1,486 people get involved in that. That's not a lot. <laughs> You know, no, not even a little bit. No, I just told you there's there's 16 million in the United States alone. Then you add mm -hmm. another two, two or three million from Canada, and you add the rest of the world in there. Let's say, okay, now we you know we're working on things globally, but I don't think we have a real heavy global reach. But I I don't know if I even have this statistic, but. Australia. Let's see if I got that up here. We have a look online, actually. But I there's you know, 
Um, I'd have to imagine there's a fairly large population of bow hunters uh, in Australia itself. Like, like why why did we not see a big out? I mean, they might have done some stuff there too, uh, not using our platform. But I'm gonna have to assume that you know there's there's got to be at least a million, if not more, because they have several bow hunting companies like so if they could support a bow hunting i know there's like three or four different um broadhead companies there and arrow companies there um that are making um that are making products yeah for bow hunting right out of so if you got that you know you, you could sustain a business there you have to have at least yeah, I don't know what the number is. I wish I, I had it off the time. I just did a quick search on Google, but I couldn't find it. Um, but I know there's there's got to be at least a couple million people who bow hunt there. And and even if it's a million, okay, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Of, that's a lot more yeah. than 1,400 or whatever I said that the number was. You know, so I would love to sit here and just be like, spewing out all this happiness (laughs) but i'm me personally i know charles kind of feels the same way too but he's a lot more positive person than i am i'm not i'm uh, i'm not known for my positivity (laughs) but uh um yeah he'll he'd rather he'd rather focus on all the uh all the wins that we had and it's funny like i can't tell you what any of those wins are right now off the top of my head i mean i know we had quite a few um and we did some really good work, like so. I, I and and we made strides, making connections, and we're we had a lot of feedback from the commissioners and from senators and people coming back back and saying, "I can't believe we've never seen this kind of outreach. We never seen um, hunters get this involved, and and so on and so forth." So definitely making a very positive impact but again i get upset because i look at there are so many things that we not so many but we lost a few positive i mean a few um important uh bills this year that we didn't have to lose we could have totally won it and we could have honestly we could have crushed up the opposition because even with the small numbers that we had, we still overshadowed the opposition's input. So in order to win those things, we needed it to be like undoubtedly overwhelming where they couldn't ignore it. Like because any politician would be like, Well shit, this is stupid. I can't I can't back this. But you know, only a thousand people spoke out. Yeah, I could, but if it was 10,000, 50,000, or like I said earlier, a million, no politician in their right mind would back away from that piece of legislation so fast that drop it like a tot, you know? So, um, I guess I, I, 
I'm going to stop there. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be all gloom and doom. So, yeah. Don't get how on the other side of the aisle, <clears throat> like, you know, the animal lovers, we'll just call them how they've got, like they've sent out their mailing list and they've got hundreds of millions of people or whatever, just piles of people. <clears throat> and we got so many sportsmen in the country. And for some reason they're just not signed up like for howl or other things. They're not getting involved with the smallest little thing on the other side, everybody in the world is getting involved on it. Yeah. Well, let me explain that to you. So you're an anti-hunter. Okay. That's okay. when, that's what you do. Okay. I'm a hunter. So hunting is what I do. So they're anti, the anti-hunting's job or, or passion, I should say, not job, but their anti-hunter's passion is getting rid of you. Your, my passion is going to shoot a deer. So me protecting that is secondary. Do you understand? Does that make sense? I don't know if I... I got you. Yeah, that, that makes but sense. That... They view shutting you and I down like you and I view getting an elk tag and going to harvest an elk. Does that make sense? Mm. It does. If like I was talking earlier, if I if you could put into perspective how think about it. I mean, how many pod how many hunting podcasts are there out there? <laughs> Stupid amount, right? How many hunting mm. shows have there been? How many companies are there based on making gadgets so we can hunt more effectively and more comfortably and all that stuff, right? So look at all that effort. You've ever go to like the Hunt Expo or one of these larger shows? It is ridiculous how much money and effort and time is put into that stuff, right? Now, mm. not to mention, look at all the effort we put into like with the critter groups and all that stuff, how many, how much effort we put into putting animals back on the mountain. So our, our focus is way more widespread and the protection thereof is way lower on the totem pole. Like I said earlier, we spend way more time thinking about perfecting our shot with the bow than we do stopping a bill that may take hunting away from us. And it's a stupid way to look. We're cutting off our nose to spite our face, really. I mean, it's kind of like a kind of like a dumb way to look. You know. But Yeah. That's just Yeah. Unfortunately, it's the nature of the beast. So Yeah, I just really so. hope it doesn't get to a point where it's some pretty big things to start, you know, opening people's eyes that maybe we should put just a little bit more time into keeping what we have rather than just, mm -hmm. I mean, you got to enjoy it while we have it, but at the same time, I mean, I honestly think, yeah. I think people shouldn't even look at it. Let's, let's protect what we have. Like, well, yeah, let's protect what we have, but if we do this right, we can get things back. Hell, I mean, Jersey just reinstated freaking bear hunting, and they've been without a bear season for a very long time. 
because the science, if you follow the science, there's going to be times where the science tells you, hey, no, we can't hunt this species in this area anymore. And we got we to gotta be supportive of that, you know? Mm-hmm. But. Which but, I really don't know very many sportsmen that wouldn't be, you know, if biologists are saying that this isn't sustainable, uh, you'd be surprised. they understand. You'd be really? surprised how many people have a, you know, oh, that's just the libtards. There's plenty of deer out there or whatever, you know, whatever the case is. And it's, it's always some, you know, I'm not saying at the majority of, but there is definitely people that think that way that, oh, you're just hmm. taking away my opportunity and I'm not going to look at it, you know. Now, if you it's know, like a ballot box biology, I can guy. see that. But if it's actual biologists, oh yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, well, that's the stuff that we're fighting. We're fighting ballot box biology, you know, or we're trying mm-hmm. to. I mean, let, let's look at the wolf thing in Colorado. I don't have the exact. It's not working out too well for him. No, I mean, we lost that in the ballot by like. I mean it. It was forty nine percent to fifty one percent, like not even a full percent. Actually, it was like fifty point six percent. It was just over a half a percent of people for the wolf reintroduction, as opposed to it. And I looked at the numbers, and it was like one million one hundred thousand people that were for it these are arbitrary numbers but it was pretty close to that actually to be honest with you but and then it was like one million opposed to it did i say that? i'm sorry 1.1.1 for it and 1 million against it so they lost by like a margin okay now and i'm my mind i'm thinking well there's one point there's 1.1 i think or at least 1 million hunters in Colorado, okay, plus all the ranchers, plus all the people that don't want their dogs and cats. Like, if the people that are bitching about it now would have spoke up then, they would have wiped the floor clean with, you know, the people that voted for it. And if we did a better job of educating the public because you know how many people voted for it because they were like, oh, cool, I'd love to see a wolf out there. But they're not exactly anti-hunting or looking at it from a perspective, well, shit, if we have wolves here, you know, we're going to lose a crap ton of elk and a crap ton of deer and sheep and moose and everything else, right? People don't look at it that way. They look at it like, oh, cool, it's a wolf. I want to see a wolf. I want to hear wolves. And that that's why we lose stuff because that middle ground is getting, I, I'm going to use the word educated very loosely, but getting better educated from the anti-hunters than we are. Like this is like one of the things that we've been trying to do, but man, it takes a crap ton of money and we just don't, we don't get the funding, you know? We're, we're having a hard time getting people to take 30 seconds to put their name 
on a on a you know uh, on an email. Um, think about how much harder it is to get somebody to cough up you know a hundred bucks a year or something. It's <laughs> you know it's it's, yeah. it's even. I, I, the 30,000 people that are using the, 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 the system, if they were, uh, if they were given a hundred thousand dollars a year, we'd be, or excuse me, a hundred dollars a year, we'd be, we'd be looking pretty good and we can do a lot more things, but you know, it all takes money. It all takes time, but it's not a lot of time and it's not a lot of money. If you break it up over the whole, you know, population of, of hunters. And I'm just saying hunters. Now, if you take it sportsmen into account, I mean, we're 70 million strong in the United States. That's, you know, what are we, 330 million people, I think, right? So 70 million divided by 330. That's a large portion, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I just, it's not it's a small a quarter number. of it. Uh, I think it's a little over 20%, right? Or 20, yeah, 21%. I just did the math. So, you know, that's that's undeniable. That's like, un, you, people cannot ignore that. It's just, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, again, I don't want to be gloom and doom because we've been able to do so much with the little that we've the little input that we have as collectively as a whole. I don't want to, I do not want to, uh, you know, the, the, the tract or remove any, uh, I don't know even how to put it, but I don't want to take anything away from those people that have been getting involved and consistently getting involved because it's been huge just with that i just think it could be so much more you know it's like it and it's going to take those people that are getting involved to smack their buddy in the back of the head and be like yo go take 30 seconds and put your name in the freaking you know in the hat over there <laughs> let's let's get this done i mean and uh yeah that's it. I'm getting off my, my soapbox now. I guess before we get into hunting stuff, um, there are new listeners. So for those that don't know what we've been talking about, what Howl is, uh, do you want to explain just real quick what it is and how it works and what they would see if they get signed up? Sure. Um, yeah, Howl for Wildlife is a platform. If you go to howlforwildlife.org, um, actually go to howl.org too, we got that set up but um you can we we are the only hunting organization that has a free membership so even if you don't want to financially support alpha wildlife you can still get because we didn't want to tell people hey we don't want you to get involved because you don't want to give me 30 dollars a year you know that's ridiculous i want as many people to get involved as possible however we would love your support. This is a very expensive endeavor for us to do. And all the, all our support comes from memberships and donations. Okay. Anyway, Howlful Wildlife is a platform that is designed to connect 
you, the hunter, to the decision makers on any policy, any legislation at any level that that we're working on. I'm saying that. I shouldn't say all of them because we have so many come up and we don't we don't put them up there until we get them researched and sometimes it's just we don't have enough time. But on policy that affects wildlife management and as it pertains to hunting and fishing. Okay. So what does that mean? Um, bills that come up that are taking away anti-hunting or excuse me, that are taking away hunting rights, bills that are pro hunting that are trying to introduce, um, you know, more hunting or try to get back. We get involved in those and we connect you, like I said, the hunter to the exact decision makers. How's that differ from, you know, action centers that you'll see on other org sites. Those other orgs will say, contact your legislator or put your name and your email and your zip code in here. And this form letter that we wrote is going to go out to your legislator. Well, your legislator may or may not have anything to do with that bill. Hell, it might be in a committee. It might be a a county level. It might be at whatever that more than not, more often than not that legislator that is your, you know, your congressman or your Senator or whatever has nothing to do with the bill that is being presented. They're going to get your email. They're going to be like, okay, cool. I know nothing about this and I am not involved in it. So every once in a while you might get a, uh, you know, uh, a congressman or a senator that's pro hunting and say, "Hey, oh, oh cool! I'm glad this got on my radar. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick my nose in it and see if I can throw my weight around." But for the most part, they have nothing to do with it. So what Hal does is we connect you to the people that are making the decisions on that bill. That's the number one goal or our number one mission is doing that. The other things that we are doing is we are, well, let me keep going with that specifically. We also organize um, like uh, meetings, like I call them pregame meetings. So if there is like a committee that is meeting and the public is welcome to come and discuss the whatever the policy is or like a commission meeting specific uh, specifically that we see a lot of those we hold meetings give you guys the talking points educate you on the bill educate you guys on how to uh, present yourself how the meeting is run and that way you can go into that meeting um, better equipped to make a um a good argument for or against whatever it is that you're doing uh, for that specific. That's that's one side of it. The other side of it is what we kind of touched on earlier a little bit is educating the non-hunting public and the hunting public on um, what conservation is, uh, conservation versus preservation, we are trying and we are getting involved in um, 
putting out um, videos and and some films and so on and so forth that's going to speak to the non-hunting public. And um, hopefully when enough money comes in, we'll be able to do some ad buys and we're working on some grants and so on and so forth to hopefully to do that. But that is the other major part um, of what we're doing. So it's all, it's all for protecting your, your right to hunt really and fish um, when it all comes down to it. But we're looking at it holistically. Um, to, now the actual okay. becoming a member, we have several membership options. We've, <clears throat> we've partnered with, um, like go hunt for instance. Okay. If you use go hunt, you can come or want to use go hunt. You can come and buy that membership from Howful wildlife. Um, so you're going to spend the same if you do an elite or excuse me, a um, insider, okay? If you're doing a Go Hunt insider package, if you bought it from Go Hunt, it's $149. If you come buy it from Howful Wildlife, it's still $149. But now you also get our $30 a year membership tacked on it for free, plus how, uh, excuse me, Go Hunt gives an extra 15% off to the uh, member to purchase items from their store. Uh, there's some other little features and benefits in there that I'm missing, but it's basically you're getting a lot more bang for your buck, plus half of that money is going back to Howful Wildlife. Go Hunt has been an awesome partner, and they give us back um, half of that. So now your membership becomes half of it becomes tax deductible. So there's a way bigger benefit to coming to get a go hunt from, from how than it is to go directly to them and get it. Uh, we've mm-hmm. done other things like partnered up with Pope and young club and Merck and bear foundation where you spend for like $45, which I believe is what Pope and young's, um, yeah, the Pope and Young membership, just their basic membership, is 45 bucks a year. You spend $45 a year, now you get our membership, the Howell membership, and Pope and Young's all for the same price, and we split that with them, which is great. So you support both. You get a $75 value for $45, and you get two memberships for the price of one. Um, and so we did basically the same setup with American Bear Foundation. We have other things going on where, you know, if you with so with the goat, excuse me, with the regular Howl membership, which is thirty dollars a year, you get um, Onyx for you know a, a thirty day trial with their um, Elite, or you get twenty five percent off to to or to buy it. Um, there's uh mountain tough is given like six months or something like that. I, it keeps changing. So I don't want to speak at a turn here, but, um, we, there's a lot of features and benefits to becoming a member. And then, yeah, then there's just straight donations too. We, there's a donate page. Yeah. So. Well, and 
like with your partnerships like that, it just makes sense to, if you're going to be buying, you know, your Onyx or your GoHunt or whatever, why not just do it through Hal? And then, like you said, it just makes sense to do it. That's what I did this year when I re-up my uh, Onyx as I went in through you guys. And if you already have Onyx so. and say you got like six months or whatever left, you don't have to wait till the six months is up. If you purchase um, GoHunt or onyx through half for wildlife so like you could also buy half uh, excuse me onyx i believe we're using our promo code um i want to say you say 40 percent it's like 40 percent or something like that 20 might be 20 percent or 25 percent but either way so if you purchased either gohan or an onyx or one of those through alpha wildlife they just tack on the year to whatever you have existing. So you don't have to wait till it's up. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pretty pretty sweet setup. Um, there's some other ones coming down the, down the line. I, I know like Elk Calling Academy, maybe, I believe Elk 101, not Elk 101, but the Elk Collective. Um, there's some couple other membership programs out there. Um, we've been working with, talking with Mark Livesay too on his, um, tree line pursuit stuff and, um, you know, his membership based stuff that we're going to, you're going to see some more, um, membership based type, uh, programs that are going to align themselves with how, um, so you'll be able to get the best of both worlds, like get that membership through us, support Howl, and still get what it is that you want instead of going directly to them to get it. So, mm -hmm. And then once you're a member, it's really easy. Like when you guys have a – you just get an email that's got all of the bills in it or whatever, and then you click in the email. I think it's like support this bill yeah. or whatever, and – it takes you right to the site, and it's yep. got a, like a canned email, and you guys have a bunch of different ones, or you can type in what you want on it, yeah. and it sends it directly to who it's it needs to not go a, to. I'm glad you said that, because it's actually not a canned email. A canned email means a form letter that they're going to get the same email is going to go out to every legislator. Um, it's going to say... You know, on behalf of how for wildlife's thirty thousand members, um, we are opposing this bill. That's a canned email. Our emails okay. are very, very different. Um, we actually take the time to upload a hundred fifty, two hundred different variations of that email, um, so that it's not the same words. Our emails come directly from you to the legislator. Doesn't come from Halfal Wildlife. Um, the subject lines are also randomized, so our open rate is at like I believe eighty-five percent or higher on every bill. So when you write something, it's getting to them. And they're getting a different message. Cool. Plus, like you had mentioned, if you want to add your own words, you can completely erase what is there. 
and type in your own words, or you could just tack on your own words to it, uh, which we encourage because it really makes it more personal. And that is Mm -hmm. what we're trying to achieve here. We're trying to make that connection between you and that decision maker that says, hey, sir or madam, I am for this or I am against this. And these are the reasons why. And so a lot of times these, these legislators, they don't know, really know. I mean, if you think about all the bills that get presented, they get the cliff notes. They look at it and they're like, okay, cool. We'll put my name on it. You know, so-and-so assistant, (laughs) you know, that's the way politics. And it's sad because the amount of research and the way these things are written, I mean, you have to be a lawyer to like really go through them and decipher what the end goal is. And nobody's going to take that amount of time. So. When I say no, like the, the so when, legislators are not taking that amount of time. So they're, they're a lot of times yeah. they put their name on stuff that they think looks shiny and awesome at face value. And a lot of times it's done because that's the way it's packaged. But when they really look into it, they're like, oh man, thank you for opening my eyes to all these other issues and all these other things that, you know, consequences that could occur from me supporting this bill. And then a lot of so then a lot of times you'll see like sponsoring and this is why it's important to talk to the people that are have making the decisions on it versus just a legislator. Um a lot of times you'll see these people remove their sponsorship. They're like, Oh well, I didn't look at it from that perspective and what you're saying makes more sense. Like we saw that with the which what we which was a huge win for us, but there was an there was a um, early this year there was a, a bill proposed to remove Pittman Robertson funding from uh you know from sportsmen like the 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 premise of the bill was to not get taxed on the Second Amendment like which makes perfect sense. You know, hey, it's an unalienable right or whatever. I don't, I do not want, I shouldn't be being taxed on it. And mm-hmm. so most people looked at it and, man, it had a bunch of support. Like, I don't know, I think 80 or 50. Okay. It had a, a large number of sponsors. But within the first week of us getting involved, we saw eight jump right off. They're like, oh, well, shit, I never looked at it that way. I don't want to destroy this industry and destroy wildlife and this and that. And even the gun manufacturers, like, you know, their biggest um, organization, which is the uh, NSSF, um, they were came out and said the manufacturers don't want this. So that was a huge win for us. You know, we didn't talk about wins, but that was a huge win for us to get that knocked out because that would have been absolutely devastating to hunting and fishing because one of our biggest arguments to the other side is the pay to play. We're, we're the ones that are paying for constant. We're the ones that are paying for wildlife management and, um, you know, 
we're the ones that are getting land and habitat and all this other stuff and you start taking away a huge chunk of that which you know in 2021 was 1.5 billion dollars so you know uh you, you take away a huge chunk of that funding and then it, it makes it easier for the other side to make arguments because let's let's get it like let's not Let's not kid ourselves here. <laughs> the only reason why hunting exists in all actuality is because of money, right? It's because yeah. of greed. Because unless the the governing body is an actual hunter or angler, they're, they're going to do what's, you know, politicians are going to do what politicians do. And that's try to make people happy and make themselves look good. And that's that in itself is what we need to understand. They don't they don't look at things like and it's a sad thing. We're seeing it, you know, much much bigger things than hunting and fishing. Um, but we're going to support whatever narrative makes us look the best. So it's yeah. our it's on us to educate them and say, hey, look at this, dude. This is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be the guy that killed off the elk because of this, you know, that that kind of situation. But I guess there's more people would just get involved. No, it literally takes you 30 seconds to go to the action center. I can go to the action center right now, and there's you know, like six or seven actions on there. We have six, seven, eight. There's eight actions still active right now. We're, and we're really late in the uh, in the legislative season. Usually by April, yep. most of the most of the uh, bills have come and gone. Um, but there's there's eight of them up there. It will literally take me two minutes to do all eight of these now you know I don't know I don't have a number for you how many we do a month but I would say on the average if you spent five minutes a month you would do more for hunting and fishing than you ever have it doesn't take a whole lot so yeah Okay. Yeah, if you wanted to be quick okay. and dirty, you just click OK, click Submit, and you're done. Everything's all gone through and yep. everything for you. Well, so? I'm, I'm done beating everybody up for what they're not doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, they need to be involved. But why don't we uh, move on now to the uh, meat of the episode? Um, we'll get on to, to the hunting side of things. Um I guess last time we didn't really get to talk about it. Uh, so you guide in South Dakota and down there, or is it just up in South Dakota? No, I do both. Um, and Dude, my okay. guiding in South Dakota is very limited. We go out there for 15 days a year, and we guide, and that's it. Um, and that is primarily, or not even primarily, it is only uh, for deer, uh, whitetail and, and mule deer both. Um, we, uh, 
I take a very small number of people, uh, four, actually, four people get to go hunting with us a year up there. And then I have an additional four people that could do a self-guided um, hunt where I have land and, you know, we take we take them out there uh, for half a day, show them the land, give them some pointers on how to hunt it, and then turn them loose. Um, so... Yeah, I my my main ranch that we hunt on um, is about six thousand continuous acres, um, with a total of I believe about ten total. Uh, and then the self guided is about the about five thousand acres up in South Dakota. Now in Arizona, it's all public land. In Arizona, we guide yeah. for um elk deer um sheep when we get clients we do a lot of predator hunting a lot of javelina hunting i don't know it became very popular for both of those um i think maybe it's because of the availability and the price point more than anything but um the only thing we don't guide for here is antelope and bison of the, of the species. Oh, I don't guide for turkey either because um, I don't think any of myself or any of my guides that currently work for me are good enough turkey hunters to take people's money to take them hunting. I can find turkey. <laughs> but... Um, That's but, more of um, a self-guided deal. Not my, yeah, not my not my forte. Um, eventually, if I uh, end up becoming very good at it, I might start taking people out, but uh, as of right now... <laughs> I do not take people's money for that. Um, and then we do bow fishing. And f- bow fishing and fishing as well. I have I have one guide that uh, is really he's he's probably one of the one of the best uh, fishing guides and fishermen here in Arizona. So um, we do we do offer some, you know, some fishing. Uh, trips, but we do a lot of bowfish. Matter of fact, last night, and I apologize if I sound a little stupid and slow today. That is um, because it is we well, we started this at six a.m. I got home at like twelve thirty, quarter to one. I don't know what time I actually ended up getting to bed, but and then got up at five thirty to do the podcast. So <laughs> I didn't get a whole lot of sleep. I'm a little groggy, and I don't do coffee, so. You and I already yeah. discussed that. How did you guys do last that. night then? Um, it was all uh, young boys that uh, I think the oldest kid was 13. So it was like 13, 10, uh, 10, 8, and then my son came to 7. Um, and um, none of them had ever shot a bow. Obviously, my son has, but... Um, none of them had shot, shot a bow and then, um, their dad who, um, who never shot a bow before either. So we didn't do too well. We shot a crap ton of times. I think we shot maybe three or four fish total. Um, but if, if the amount of arrows released, um, even had a 25% success rate, we probably would have had about 40 in the boat. <laughs> but, yeah, we just, uh, we missed a lot. 
but they had a great, excellent time. Yeah, yeah. perfect. And yeah, we see that a lot. So bow fishing is like my gateway drug, I guess, that and predator hunting. And uh, I would say 90% of the people that come, maybe 90 might be a bit much, but like 80% of the people that come bow fishing with us have never even pulled a bow back. Well, like you said, so it's we a gateway classes. drug. Yeah, it's like a, it's an easy entry because yeah. people aren't so yep. concerned about killing a fish as they would be a deer and bows are oh, a lot less even, scary than a gun. Right, exactly. Oh. Yep. Um, any, at any rate, everybody who's ever done it is like, this is the greatest thing ever. I never want to go regular fishing ever again. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's wildly successful, uh, from that standpoint. Um, we uh we got rid of what we had another but we had two boats and i have two two guides other than myself that do it and uh yeah it's you know we we stay fairly busy with it i don't advertise it i don't really try to get out there and drum up business but i might uh try to ramp that up here and uh it's been it's been great you know so it's, it's a fun it's a fun endeavor so um, so you said you give classes for it too, like for people mm-hmm. who haven't done it. So is that just like, uh, like on your Instagram where you have, uh, like your kids shooting in the pool at your uh, target? Is that what you're doing? Or is it just like on dry land? So uh, sometimes. Here and let go? Well, so, uh, usually it's an hour to an hour and a half before, or I mean, you could do up to two hours, uh, an hour, an hour and a half before your trip, you show up. We do some instruction on land, then we take you on the boat, and then we we put our targets out. Um, you know, we go through all the safety stuff. I mean, you get the safety stuff whether you're you've been a bow fisherman before or not. But um, and then we go through all the mechanics of it. And I mean, I haven't had a single person that didn't get it and wasn't hitting the target before we left. Like last night. All those boys and their dad all hit target at least one time. Um, we lost. They were. They end up showing up about forty minutes late, so we lost a bunch of time that I was going to spend with them doing that uh, that class. And there were so many. You know, it was you know, included like I said, Adam, my son came um, also, but. Um, we had six people on my boat, which is a lot, to be honest with you. Um, I don't. I typically we like to run four, uh, four shooters max and the captain. Um, but you know, we had five shooters plus myself, which was uh, a little crowded, and so I had to spend a lot more time on, you know, making sure everybody was safe and, um, and whatnot. But yeah, guys, guys get it guys and girls they they get it very quickly uh we have a very i have a very regimented not regimented now it's probably not a very uh streamlined way of of teaching people how to be proficient in it very quickly um and once they've got the mechanics down it's really it's really about getting Reeling the, reeling it up and getting it re- reloaded, uh, is where some of the, uh, you know, mishaps happen and whatever, uh, you know, strings get tangled and 
so on and so forth. But for the most part, it's like the actual shooting and becoming proficient at it. They they get that very quickly. So yeah, um, I suppose you guys probably have a since you're doing this you got like the good reels that are like a fishing reel and everything you're not having them go out there with drums hand reeling them um all the bows are ams uh hooligans uh hooligan twos and um so they're a snap shooting bow and a reason why i went that route is one they're a snap shooting bow snap shooting compound bow and so i don't have to just draw lengths to people um the draw weight is super adjustable. It goes from like 17 pounds up to 50 pounds. Um, okay. And the reels, I half my bows have the um, AMS Retriever XTs, which is a bottle-fed, um, you know, you have to pull the lever in to reel it in. Uh, but it's a free, it's a free spooling. So if you don't have that trigger pulled back or that lever pulled back, the line just comes out. And the reason why we go with that one, it's a strong, it's a strong reel. It'll, you know, you can reel in, you know, 50, 60 pound fish, no problem with it. Um, but the other reason why we go with that, it's very safe. Free spooling is really much safer because okay. if you forget to push a button, or, uh, you know, like if you're using a spin cast or whatever, like a regular fishing reel style, and you forget to push that button, you can either get hurt, but more often than not, you just ruin the reel. And you just go through yeah. too many reels because people will forget to push the button. Now, we also have, like I run a couple of the, uh, Cajun bow fishing reels. Um, I think they're called the winches, the bow fishing winch. Uh, winch, excuse me, that's not winch, winch. Um, that is a hybrid of both a, you know, push button spin cast type and, and it's, and it's a bot, but it's bottle fed. Okay. Um, so, but the thing about that is if you don't push the button, your arrow is still going to go and you're not going to hurt anything because it's got like an e-brake on it. Um, Okay. But you're just not going to hit the fish because it's not going to get out there. Um, so it's safe. But the cool thing about that is you don't have to pull in pull any any levers to reel it back in. It automatically is in you know real mode. Uh, you just got to push the button before you shoot it. So that that's kind of I have I have half my bows have that and half have the other. My personal bow, my personal setup, I run what's called a Mega Mouth um, bow fishing reel. It's a it's truly a hybrid of a spin cast and a free spooling bottle fed. Um, there's no bottle. All the line is contained inside the reel like a spin caster would be, but it's free spooling. Um, and it is designed to reel in faster and uh, much heavier fish and you can tension it a lot easier. It's just, it's probably it, the problem is is they're they're not cheap. Those are like yeah, three hundred bucks. What, what's the deal sticking out on the front of it, like that bent rod? 
So that is a a rod. That's exactly what it is. And you oh oh I see it's got a hole in the end don't. of it. Yeah, that rod, uh, the your line goes through there, and what that does is one, it helps guide the the string in the right direction. Number one, but when you're reeling, it gives you leverage. So when you're using the the your bow to leverage that fish back, so it's that's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, if you get serious into it, that's the that's what I suggest the way you go because, or if you feel like you're going to get serious into it, just buy that from the get go. Cause I made, you know, I went through two or three other reels first before I landed on that for myself. And, um, it's just the best of all worlds. It's, I mean, the old one drawback to it is it's a little bit heavier than the other ones, but making uh, up for it in other yeah. ways, you know, being sturdy and all the other stuff. Exactly. You know, I'm not, I had other spin casters where you were just constantly re- rebuilding them and all this other stuff. It was like, I'm not going to throw the other brands underneath the name, but the, uh, underneath the bus, but they're, uh, yeah, not fun to deal with that. I just got a uh, $30 drum on the front of mine with how much I get to go out. I don't get to go out like on a boat and stuff like you. We just kind of walk around on uh, mm-hmm. like little levy deals and, uh, Shoot yep. some carp, but that's how I carp, that's how I started but... off, man. I used to just wait for the spawn and go shoot fish for that month or whatever, and that was my bow fishing. Well, anyhow, every once in a while, I go out on somebody else's boat, um, but yeah, it wasn't the last two years really that I got the boats and got really serious into it myself. Um, I mean, I had done it for a long time. I had gone, like I said, on other people's boats quite a bit. But my, uh, my, I started off like most people do, shooting from the shore. Yeah. It's still fun, though. I've only got to go out on the boat yeah. doing it one time, and it was such a blast having the lights and everything going at night. It was just absolutely yeah. fun. And it was me and two other guys that are big, bow hunters too so we did not miss very many i think at the beginning we each missed our first one and then after that i don't think that we hardly missed it all and we just stacked them that's awesome that's awesome yeah it's um it's different you know because you're basically like shooting a recurve it's all feel it's all you know I have pins on my bows, not like not stacked pins, but there's one pin and it's kind of like a guide, you know, it, it'll, it's okay. pretty close on from, you know, one and a half foot to three foot of water, but you start getting deeper or shallower. You got to change that up quite a bit. So you can't, you can't rely on yeah. the pin. Sometimes it's a hindrance then, you know. And I think when we went, we went like at the perfect time, they're all up in the shallows and spawn and everything. So like, it was like every shot, they were right up their backs were almost out of the water. It was pretty hard to, pretty hard to miss. Oh yeah. Whatever we had yeah. going on that night was perfect. It's crazy how different it gets. As soon as you drop below a foot, foot and a half yeah. of water, foot still shallow enough that you really don't have to adjust too much, but you start getting a foot and a half or lower and it becomes a completely, and you're, you'll get frustrated. I remember the very, very first time I went out on a boat. I think I'm, I think I shot four fish and I shot probably like 
200 times. <laughs> I was missing like <laughs> over the back and then I would shoot under. It was like, oh my God. I was like, what is going on? I was right there every single time. I just couldn't find that sweet spot. Um, yeah. And it wasn't my bow, you know, so like I didn't have the feel. I'm going to make up an excuse to make myself sound a little bit better, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty terrible. It was pretty terrible. So, and that and it was also on an airboat. Um, so you're going pretty fast. Like with our yeah. boat, you know, I pretty much do most of my work with the trolling motor and, you know, we're going slow, like creeping. So you got time to like, you know, pick your spot and shoot. Um, yeah, yeah. We, uh, my boat is. I gotta say, so the guys at Tiny Boat Nation, um, they built my boat with me in conjunction. Uh, and I say with me, I did a lot of the designing and features wise, but you know, I didn't really do much of the work. Work I did some, um, and it's just it's it's probably the baddest fishing boat out there. At least. Uh, at least in the West anyway. I don't know. I, I, I might be a little <laughs> bit biased, but it's pretty sick. <laughs> so. I liked it a lot. It looks yeah. like it, the way that you guys did it too, a lot of thought went into what went where. Like it seems like everything has got a purpose to why it's like this and where it's at and all of that. It looks really streamlined and yeah. yeah. Plus it just looks yeah, good. exactly. So. Another thing I wanted to talk about was your uh, archery coyote hunting. I've only ever shot one mm. coyote with a bow, and that just he just happened to be coming by, and I was in the right spot. Now, you're calling him in, like yeah. predator hunting, like I would with rifle. How did you decide to start doing that? Like, where'd the idea come from? Well, um, I wanted to be a better bow hunter, and I wanted to get as much bow hunting in as I possibly can. And so what better way to hone my skills than to go predator hunting for them? So um, it became something completely different after that because I fell in love with it. Um, but when I started doing it, it was really just, you know, I wanted to get the reps in and I wanted to get them in at live animals <laughs> versus versus uh you know shooting at foam or whatever um you know i yeah. felt like you know you got to learn how to play the wind you got to you know learn all these uh things that would help you in in a another hunting situation um i learned a lot of what i know about calling elk and deer and and now even turkey uh, I learned from predator hunting, you know, I learned from like that, those scenarios, like help me figure things out. Like I was, I was talking about, um, creating a room and, um, I'm trying to think what's his name. Uh, Chris Rowe. He, uh, he was the first person I heard say it out loud. But like some of his his principles on elk calling, those are things that I learned through predator hunting and applied to elk hunting. 
So it's just, um, it just became like an amazing tool for me to learn so many. Plus I was learning new ground too. Like it's so much easier to go scouting and I'm throwing up my air quotes right now. Um, when you're going hunting for something else and you're just making mental notes or dropping pins or whatever the case may be, um, for other species. So it was just a, I mean, I don't, I don't think, I think, bow hunting predators in the quote unquote off season had did more for me than anything else I've ever did um in 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 hunting to become a better hunter. So So when you when you started out, what was your success rate like? Like how did how long did it take to start becoming good at it? Um to actually calling predators in uh fairly quickly. I got pretty good at that very quickly actually hitting them um i really don't know how long it took off the top of my head i don't think i really put that in my mental rolodex but i uh i definitely saw some running away for a while (laughs) i definitely watched the back end of of coyotes quite often uh in the beginning and then I things started to click. I started paying attention to when I did have success or when I had successful opportunities to shoot more so than anything, not, not necessarily actually hitting one. Um, once I started looking at the mechanics of what offered me or presented me shots, then I was able to replicate that. And that's what bow hunting predators, and especially coyotes, because coyotes are like a drive-by shooting where a fox or a bobcat or even a lion usually give you way more time. Uh, they stalk in versus run in. I shouldn't say that because fox, yeah. fox will run in too, but they'll run in and they'll stop. I mean, they'll, they'll bark at the damn call and try to pick it up and run away with it and they're just more ballsy. Um, coyotes are definitely more skittish. So, but once I've realized the mechanics of it all, um, I was able to start replicating that, and I saw my success rate um, went to like. So let me, let me actually let me say this: I used to see way more coyotes, and. I felt like I was more successful in calling in coyotes um, when I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) Um, And then I do now. But now I have an 85% success rate on actually killing the coyote before I did not. And I think it's because my setups were probably more geared towards like a rifle or something like that where I could see longer ways. So, yeah, of course, you're going to see more coyotes. You're going to see more predators if you could see a longer distance. Like my setups now, if I can see 100 yards, that's that's a crazy, crazy setup. Like I don't usually have that kind of visibility. It's usually 50, 60, 70 yards max. 
because um, when a coyote comes into my zone, he's got to be within, or he's already going to be within killing range, um, within effective range of a bow, or what I feel is effective range of a bow, anyway. Um, so, so you're just looking oh, for like the uh, brushiest, densest stuff you can, but still be able to see fifty yards. Is that kind of how you? Pick a spot or not necessarily. Okay. What I'm looking for. Okay. Let me let, let me give you the, the mechanics of it all, and then explain to how I pick that. So I'm trying to di- I'm trying to direct traffic. You know, I'm trying to get a coyote to come in in a way that is going to present me a shot, and preferably, I would like them to cross in front of me broadside. Right. Okay. That's the most high, excuse me, high success shot is going to be a broadside shot. More to shoot at, not looking directly at you, so on and so forth. So there's three major components to my setup. I have what I call the blind, which is where and it's not a physically physical blind. I'm not necessarily building a blind out of brush or anything, but that's where the hunter is sitting. That is where I'm sitting. There is the hide, okay, which is where I put the call. Um, so let me let me break them down. Now the blind, I'm looking for something that is going to break up my outline. Something that is going to conceal me in a way that I can come to full draw without getting noticed very easily. Um, and it's so typically, <laughs> I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to set it up where the wind is perpendicular to my position because the predators are typically going to circle and try to get the wind right. Uh, yeah. to the sound that they're hearing. So I want that. I want the call out in front of me. I prefer 20 yards would be great, but no less than 15 and no more than 30. Again, okay. because I'm trying to create an opportunity that I know was a, a makeable shot for me. You start putting it out too far, you're not going to be able to make the shot. The coyote might stop. 10, 20 yards out before they even get to the call. Uh, if you put it too close and they circle to get the wind, then now your scent cone is mint or mixed with the call. You know, they're coming to the call. They think the call is, and they pinpoint it. They know where it's coming from. They know where that sound's coming from. It's not. Are you are you putting like a drop of scent or anything on the on your e-collar at all? I used to do that, and there is um, definitely a benefit to doing that. Um, but because all they're looking for is to catch that scent to know that it's not something funky, and you know, as soon as they would hit that, then they're coming in. I used to put scents. Sometimes I used to hang a little piece of toilet paper in a in a bush above wherever I or whatever tree or whatever it is that I hid the call in. Uh, to give them a little sight picture, uh, or I put like a whirly bird or a you know a decoy. I stopped doing all that, even though they do improve your success. 
I just got very um, probably lazy is the word, maybe lazy, um, <laughs> and I just I just go out there and do it, man. You know, um, I typically don't have a whole lot of time. These are nowadays. I pretty much. You know, I'll go out there, I'll shoot one coyote, maybe two coyotes. I'll make, make or I shouldn't even say shoot one or two coyotes because that sounds like, um, I just go out there and make two, maybe three stands, and then I'm done for the day. It's kind of like uh, I don't do it all day long. Like, unless I got clients, that's a different story. But, um, you know, I go out there, it's just for me to get a quick in before I run to work or whatever. Uh, that allows me to do it more often, keeps the, you know, the senses and uh, the mechanics of it all uh, fresh. Um, but yes, doing those things definitely would improve your your uh, success rate for sure, 100%. Um, and yeah. then partly I like to not do it because I'm really just trying to keep it minimalistic and fool these wily guys yeah on my own yeah so yeah i do use an e-caller i have done this with a mouth call but the mechanics of it are quite a bit different because you have to stop calling quite a bit earlier otherwise you're going to get picked off because they're again they're zoned in on that on that call um Mm -hmm. and um well, they do. Anyway, they do have a way um, of being able to like pinpoint right in where you're at when you're mouth calling. Like even when I'm right yeah. hunting, they're if I mean once they're coming in straight at they you, they know where it came from. Yeah, yeah, they're coming straight in. They'll look they you within. I've had them charge in within like five yards. Like they were on a dead straight line. They knew exactly where I was. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So, but and then you and with that you just got to be picky and choosy as to when you're drawing back you got to have and see this goes into my me picking my spots too like i pick things i don't want necessarily 30 yards of wide openness in front of me or 50 yards of wide openness in front of me i want it to be where there's lanes you know 50 yards this way 30 yards that way 25 yards exactly so i'm waiting for that you know, his head to be behind something where I can come to full draw and I know he's going to come out to this next opening. You know, and sometimes it doesn't work out for me. Uh, that's why it's, you know, 85%, not 100%. Um, but it's just, it works better. Like, these are realizations. I used to set up a lot where I would be up higher. And in my head, I was like, okay, I'll be up higher. I'll be able to draw. I'll be like a tree stand. I was, so I would set up in these draws, and that worked from time to time, but it didn't have the same um, success rate in actually killing them. Again, I saw more coyotes, but I didn't kill as many. Um, you know, I'd set the call down below me. I still did the range thing because I always, I mean, I caught onto that really quick. You know, hell, they're going to come to the call, so let's let's get the call within my my shooting range. And and if they're not going to come to the call, they're going to usually stop ten or fifteen yards, sometimes twenty yards beyond that. So you know, mm-hmm. I could still make a forty yard shot, I could still make a fifty yard shot if I had to. Um, now, when um, you're picking your spot, do you I like you don't want to put too much scent down, but do you kind of like walk around it a little bit to get try to get a point of view of where a coyote might come from what they're seeing 
or do you just kind of like see a spot um, and pick your area and sit? I the only looking I do is when I walk my call over. So when I get to a spot, I look around. Hey, I'm going to shoot from right here, and I kind of crouch down to where I'm going to be, and I look at what my lanes are going to be, and I see oh, look what what my hide can potentially be, and I'm going to go back to the hide thing. Um, and then I walk over and I put the the call on the hide, and then once I'm there. I might look again, but I try not to walk around any more than that because I do not want to put my scent in that area. Because once that coyote comes into that area, you already don't have a whole lot of time. It could be one second, two seconds. So I don't want them to catch a puff of wind and, uh, or, or excuse me, catch a puff of scent that I had, you know, because I walked through there. Um, yeah. Anyway, so what I typically do is just I'll look from the shot the spot that I'm going to shoot, and then find where I'm going to put the call, and then I put the call. And when I walk over there to put the call, because I got to walk over there to put the call, no matter what, I I look again from there, and I try to look at it through the eyes. I when I when I pick a spot from the get go, I try to look at it through the eyes of the of. If I was running into this sound, how would I approach this? And that goes into I become, I become on the I go on the other side of it, and I try to look. What would I be doing if I came running into this? And I do that with elk, and I do that with turkey, and I'm like, okay, which way would I come into this situation? And that help me out tremendously and mm-hmm. a lot of that comes from trial and error and just you know watching a lot of coyotes run in like i said and run out um but if you pay attention you'll notice there's kind of like a, a rhyme and a reason to what they do and then every once in a while there's that outlier that doesn't you know shit i've had them come in dead dead run from the freaking downwind side and just you know, whatever, for whatever reason they did that, you know, I've had them come right over my back, unfortunately. So that's the other thing too. I'm always thinking about safety. Um, and a lot of places where I'm hunting, there could be mountain lions and bears and whatever. Um, so I'm trying to set up my blind where I have protection from the rear. Have you, uh, ever called up something else? Come around me. Oh yeah, oh yeah, all the time. Yep. Like mountain lions, bears, or just like raccoons and Both. stuff. Wow. Oh yeah, raccoons, wow. mountain lions, bears, badgers, bobcat, fox, people. Jesus. How close did you get the uh, mountain lion or bears? Um. So <laughs> the bear, I've shot bear, calling bears and specifically going to target bears. Yeah. So I've shot two that way. Um, mountain lions, I've called in three now, but I've never killed one with my bow. If I had a, if I had a firearm, they'd all be dead. Like, or even, even, they were even if I had my shotgun, coming into your sound. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. I, wow. what, one of the most amazing shots I ever made on a coyote was one, one time that I, um, I had a lion come in. And uh, I was hunting with my two buddies, and I set them, we were about 30 yards apart, and 
the way the layout was, we were up higher. And we were kind of looking down into this to this wash, but it was one of those situations where, and the reason why I had it set up that way is because there was three of us. Um, but it, there was like fingers, so I knew each one of us kind of had our own little like zone to cover. And um, yep. anyway, so I had set the call up in front of the middle person, so I was on the left side. My one of my buddies was in the middle, and then the other buddy was to the right. So I'd set the call up in front of that person, which usually gives them the best opportunity. I really wasn't setting it up for myself. And this is one of those situations. Like in my mind's eye, I looked at. And this is another thing I do when I'm choosing a spot. I try to think about where these they're going to come from. What's the most obvious place they're going to come from? And usually that means uh, like here in the desert. Uh, it's going to be a wash or a thicker area where they might be hunting for rabbits and so on and so forth. Uh, so I thought they were going to come from straight out. I didn't think, um, I honestly didn't think they were going to come from either one of the sides. I thought they were going to come from straight out. And anyway, so I started calling and within the first, I don't know if we must've been pretty damn close to him because I think it was like 45 seconds. Here comes a coyote blast and blazing in and he ran straight to the call i think my guy i think he shot at him my buddy shot at him missed and here comes like three more coyotes go off from the same direction this one and that's one of the beauties of with the bow because you know the bow goes off and they don't hear it um not especially mm-hmm. not when they're running um and these other ones were like 15 seconds behind it you know, so there was all part of the same pack. He just probably happened to be the closest one. Um, and the uh, the lead one of this pack of three was coming, and it was trotting. It wasn't like you know running full out, but they were you know they were trotting at a at a pretty good clip. And I ranged up in front of its path because I could see the way it was going and how it was going to come around this finger that I was sitting on to go to where the call was at, when, where my other buddy was sitting. And mm-hmm. um, I, uh, like I said, I ranged up in front of him and I made a 53-yard shot on the run, basically. Oh. And um, I rolled rolled him and... Um, he took off. Actually, I shouldn't say I rolled him. He, he like rolled and then he got up and ran. And I kept running the call because there was coyotes like dive bombing in every direction. We called in like a whole pack. It was crazy. And we didn't end up shooting any more coyotes. And they were going to my buddy's side. And um, actually, the last guy that was to the far right had the best opportunity and just, I don't know, for whatever reason, didn't make a shot. And I'm looking and I'm looking and... Um, I'm trying to get so the guy that was in the middle. I'm sorry, I didn't. There, I'm sorry. We had the guy that was in the middle did not shoot at the first one. That's a lie. I'm just I'm going back like 20 years now. I'm sorry. The guy in the middle actually had a 22. It was the both guys on the end had a bow, and he guy in the middle had a 22, and he just did not shoot. And that coyote. When he exited, he ran towards my buddy that was to the right, and that guy shot. So I'm trying to get, I'm looking to down the down this wash where these coyotes come from. Here comes this mountain lion, 
and he's probably 75, 80 yards out. Um, so he's not in the same line as as the uh, the coyote that I shot at 53. He's not as close to me. He's out further. And I'm like, I'm looking at his line, and he's he's not running. He's walking, you know. He's kind of stalking in. And I'm trying to get my other buddy's attention. I'm throwing pebbles his way. I'm like, there's a freaking mountain lion coming. Like, and he's the one that has the 22. And I'm like, he's going to have the best opportunity at him. And whatever. It then didn't end up working out. But that was, that was that's one, one time that, uh, that stuck out in my head. Uh, yeah. So one of my guides that works for me, Shane, um, he's called in and killed two with a shotgun. So at Jesus. under twenty yards, yeah. Yep. Are they? Yep. Pretty cool. Do you guys have to have tags for them down there, or they just see him shoot them? Or no, you have to have a tag in your pocket. But it's over the counter. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I always buy a tag to ensure that I'm not going to see a mountain lion because when I don't have a tag is <laughs> when I see him. But no, no, I've, yeah, we. Um, Actually, I see quite a bit of lions. Uh, it depends on how many coos deer clients I have. If I have a lot of coos deer clients or I'm coos deer hunting for myself a lot, um, you know, those years that we have people uh, for, you know, the th- three rifle seasons or whatever, I, I typically will see two or three mountain lions a year. Um, and then when I'm not, when I'm not, full up with people and I'm spending less time out in the field of course I mean I see I don't see as many I we saw one I saw one I guess that would be this year already so one in January and um I saw one I think in October yeah in October last year but I had Hmm. went a whole year without seeing one but then you know there'll be years I see three or four and just it just depends on how much time you spend in goose country. I think that's where I typically see him the most. This one that I saw in January, I saw him out in the flats, glassing for mule deer. Um, did you uh, put in or draw for anywhere this year? Or are you just sticking around guiding and stuff? Oh, no, I put in everywhere. My hunting comes first to guiding all the time. I weed people out like crazy. I try. I try to do as little guiding as I possibly can uh, for myself specifically. Uh, as long as I get clients for the for my guides, I typically don't. Uh, uh, no, I didn't get anything this year, and I put in less states this year than I normally would. I just put in for bonus points. Um, I'm going elk hunting in Idaho. That's my one exciting trip that I got this year. Um, the rest will be like over the counter or, you know, um, in October we'll be going, if you haven't noticed my accent, I'm going to go back to New York uh, to visit my wife's family. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll do some whitetail hunting there. Uh, but as far as like actual trips, I might go to California and try to get a blacktail. Um, I have a tag. I just don't know if I'm going to do it or not. It's just kind of rough because I, I just came back from Italy. I was in Italy with my family for, uh, almost three weeks and, um, I just gotta, so I don't know. I gotta spend some time on work stuff and I don't know if I'm going to, you know, 
Plus, my wife has a trip planned in August, which is like right in the middle of, or right in prime time of when I wanted to go mule deer hunting. Um, so I don't know, and I don't have a tag here in Arizona because I shot a, I shot a deer in January, which now I so means I can't shoot another one till next January. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind yeah. of in the same boat with trips and deals planned around August, and I've got an archery antelope tag that's in August, and oh nice, trying to I love yeah, I'm trying to figure out how I can do all these things and still have time to try to get out and shoot an antelope, but we'll see. Yeah. It's the season of having children, for sure. The kids definitely uh, put a. Uh, I don't want to say damper because that's not sounds bad, but for lack of better terminology, put a damper on the on the hunting stuff until they get to a certain age and they're coming they with do. you. So yeah, well, my son he's going to be he's four now and he comes along for most things. Obviously, it's not quite the same. I can't just beat feet and right you hustle can't like, along, but yeah, yeah, he he yeah. takes along. He went yeah. turkey hunting with us in the uh, breaks here this fall and. I got my, uh, I kept my workout up because you're in Montana, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he was pretty much my backpack. He rode on my shoulders for 90% of that going up and down that stuff. So pretty much had a pack on, even though (laughs) I was turkey hunting. Nice. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, well, we're about almost two hours in and I got to head up to Scobie to go sign on this house. So. I'm going to have to call her quits on you. Ah, no worries, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming back on. Uh, got into a little bit more hunting this time. For sure. Right on. Well, yeah. Thanks. And uh, Thanks I guess if anything uh, big comes up, if you just want to come back on, let us know. You're more than welcome to or, you know, whatever you want. Awesome. Appreciate that. Yeah, if we have any big bills come up next season or whatever or stuff that we need to get some people involved, that would be awesome. Appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you later. Take it easy.